Well, hey, Grace Chapel, great to be with you all today. We're going to be changing the pace a little bit today. Almost every year, about this time of year, we take a little break from our teaching journey of the year and gives me an opportunity to bring what I've come to call the State of the Church Address. Now, just to be clear, no delusions of grandeur on my part, okay, and uh, certainly not making a political statement one way or another. It's simply a way of allowing us to pause kind of halfway through a ministry year, think about what's been happening in the life of the church this year and uh, where we sense God leading us in the days to come. It actually turns out to be a wonderful time for us to do that because as a staff and elders, for many months now, we've been in kind of a discernment process about our church and its future and thinking about some new ways of doing things. So I'm, I'm eager to kind of share a little bit of it with you as we continue to discover it together. Now, if you happen to be new or a guest here today, uh, you won't hear a typical sermon. We don't typically talk this much about organizational stuff, but you will get a, an inside look behind the curtain, so to speak, of our life and vision as a church, so that's, that's good. If, if you came looking for something a little more personal today, I believe you're going to find that as we open the scriptures together, as we think about God's work in the world and in the church, and as we worship together. So... Wherever you are today, whether you're on one of our campuses or venues, one of our partner churches, part of our online community, anywhere around the country or even around the world, you're, you're part of the family. So we're glad you're listening in today and part of the conversation. Now, the President's State of the Union address this past Tuesday was 82 minutes long and interrupted by applause 102 times. So just to be clear, I'm not looking for applause and you're not looking for 82 minutes. So I think we understand each other uh, as we get started here. Now, typically, the president tries to find a word that captures the condition of the country at that particular moment in its history. And usually it's a word like the state of the country, the state of the nation is strong, or the state of the nation is united. And so over the years, I've tried to find a word that I think captures the what's uniquely happening in the life of the church that particular year. I went back and looked at some recent years, and we've said things like the, the state of the church is vibrant, the state of the church is rising, the state of the church is generous. This year, I'm settling on a slightly more humble word. The state of the church is changing. The state of the church is changing. It's a good thing I'm not looking for applause because that's probably not going to get it. But I believe it's an accurate word, and I happen to believe it's a very hopeful word, and as we're going to discover, it's actually a very biblical word. It's a word that applies not just to Grace Chapel, but to the church at large, at least the church in America, here in 2019. The church is changing because the world is changing. I don't mean just, I don't really mean the global world, though that certainly is changing. I'm talking about the world in which the church operates. I'm talking about our culture and our society. I'm talking about uh, the, the spiritual climate uh, in which we find ourselves today. It's changing. And some of those changes are obvious to us. People are more harried, more hassled, more stressed out perhaps than ever. Our calendars are always full. Our phones are always pinging. Our minds are always occupied. And that's true for kids as well as for adults. 
Financial pressures are great today. We have four uh, young adult married children, each of them kind of beginning to build a home and start a family. In all four households, both partners work. Seven of the eight of them work full time. We get exhausted just talking to them about their lives. Work and childcare and taking care of the house and schooling and church and all the other aspects of their life. Politics is dividing us rather than uniting us. Organized religion is under a cloud of suspicion. Whether because of abuse, scandals, or political entanglements, or moral failures on the part of high-profile leaders. Digital culture has created an online demand for everything. We want what we want, when we want it, the way we want it. And it better be good or we'll go somewhere else to find it. It's a consumer culture. The stock market is up one month and down the next month. And the, the weather is just as up and down and extreme and unpredictable. The only thing that hasn't changed is that the Patriots keep winning Super Bowls. That's your applause line, okay, right there. I knew, I knew I'd get one, so. So all of this is having a profound effect upon the way people engage with church. Church attendance is on the decline everywhere across our country, in part because fewer and fewer people even think about going to church anymore. And because those who do go to church tend to go less often than they used to go. Churches and religious institutions are facing new financial pressures today. Again, as financial pressure increases, charitable, give, charitable giving is down across the country. And as the, as the loyal builder generation ages and younger generations give differently than older generations. I've been in church work my whole life for decades now. And I can tell you, it's never been as challenging as it is today. The state of the church is changing. Before we start talking about what that might mean for us, let's go to the scriptures for a few minutes where Jesus speaks to the changing times in which he lived. So we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke for a few minutes, uh, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 33 through 38 of Luke 5. Jesus is in a conversation with some religious leaders. Verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. This conversation took place in the early days of Jesus' ministry as he's gaining popularity and stirring up controversy. On this particular occasion, a group of religious leaders are challenging the way he does things, like healing on the Sabbath and socializing with notoriously sinful people. And in particular, they're bothered by the fact that, that his disciples don't seem to fast and pray the way most religious people did in that time. In first century Judaism, public prayer, public fasting was one of the primary ways you demonstrated your spirituality, your intensity, your commitment. 
Even John the baptizer's disciples, revolutionary as they were, they fasted and prayed. But Jesus' disciples go on eating and drinking as if nothing's happening. So Jesus responds with a very simple illustration from everyday life. Nobody fasts on the day of a wedding, he says. Because a wedding is a happy time. It's for celebrating. Fasting is for a time of mourning. Jesus is hinting that he is a bridegroom and that this is a time for feasting. But he's also making another larger point. Different times call for different measures. Weddings are time of celebration, and so they call for certain behaviors. Departures are times for mourning, and so they call for different sorts of behaviors. When the bridegroom is present, it's time to celebrate. When the bridegroom is absent, it's time for mourning. Different times call for different measures. Nothing wrong with fasting, nothing wrong with feasting. You just have to do what's appropriate for the time. Different times, different measures. He goes on then to make the point even more strongly with a couple of short, vivid parables. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The new wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Different times call for different measures. You can't take something that worked in one set of circumstances and assume that it's going to work in another set of circumstances. Just like you can't take a piece of new, unshrunk cloth and use it to patch up a frayed, shrunken piece of cloth. First of all, the patch won't match the fabric. And secondly, when that new patch begins to shrink, it will tear both of them and the whole thing will be ruined. If we're to put it in a more modern analogy, we might say, Sometimes you just have to get yourself a new pair of jeans, even though that old pair is familiar and very comfortable. Similarly, Jesus says, if you put new fermenting wine into wineskins that are stiff and brittle and old, that new effervescing wine will eventually burst those old wineskins the skins will be ruined and the wine will be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Different times call for different measures. Now again, Jesus is speaking about himself. He's the new wine, his presence, his gospel. The wineskins were the forms and structures of first century Judaism, which were appropriate for a time, but were no longer sufficient for the new thing God was doing. The gospel that Jesus was bringing was so new, so good, so transformative. Those old structures could not contain it. New wine calls for new wineskins. But letting go of those old wineskins was going to be very difficult for those religious leaders. In fact, as we know, most of them were not able to let go and they missed the new wine of the kingdom of God. So Jesus was speaking specifically to his time and to his ministry, 
But again, he's also saying something larger, speaking more broadly. He's speaking to us about how difficult it is and yet how important it is to embrace change when it is called for, especially when it comes to the things of the kingdom. It's both difficult and important. And we don't have time for a church history lesson here, but, but there have been moments in the history of God's people when the old forms could not contain the new things that God was doing. Certainly the Reformation was one of those times back in the, in the 16th century. The, the institutional church at the time could not contain the, the breaking out of the gospel as it was translated into everyday language. And people began to discover how, how good the gospel is, the gospel of salvation by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Renewal and reform began to break out in all kinds of movements as those old forms and structures burst and, 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 the, and the gospel spilled out and literally changed the landscape of Europe. Different times called for different forms because God was doing a new thing. A similar thing happened uh, here in our country in the early or mid-20th century. Mainline Protestant denominations were drifting farther and farther away from their historic biblical roots. And fundamental Protestant denominations were becoming more and more narrow and legalistic. And the gospel was too good for either of them. And so a new movement burst forth called evangelicalism. Good newsing, that's all the name meant. The, the gospel was so good, so beautiful, so engaging that those, neither of those old forms could contain it. God was doing something new. Now, on a much smaller scale, I've seen this principle at work in my personal history with the church, which, as I said, I've been in since I was literally two weeks old. Hardly missed a Sunday. Have Sunday school pins to prove it, okay? <laughs> I came of age in the church in the 60s and 70s in an era of what we used to call the full-service church model. It was the goal of every church in those days to have something for everyone, cradle to grave, something every night of the week. You knew your church was successful if the calendar was full. Grace Chapel boomed during those periods because of all the wonderful ministry and activity that happened. I, I was a youth pastor back in those days for part of that time, and I used to get time with the kids Sunday morning for Sunday school and church, Sunday evening for church and then youth group, Wednesday night for Bible study, and then on the weekend for a social activity. Four times a week I was with the kids. That didn't count pick up football games and kids stopping by my house for breakfast on their way to school. Kids don't have that kind of time anymore. We live in a different world. So the full service church. Well then, the seeker church model came along. As full service churches realized the people we were serving were already Christian people. And that we weren't serving the people who were still far from God and far from church. And so the seeker movement refocused the church outward 
designing a ministry that would be welcoming and attentive to people who were far from God. And Grace Chapel was shaped profoundly by the seeker church movement in the 80s right into the 2000s. And then the emergent church emerged. This new movement that challenged the the slickness and the bigness of the seeker church that called for authenticity, wanted smaller, more organic structures. And as it became clear that fewer and fewer people were looking for church on Sunday morning, the emergent church called for us to be a more missional church, to, to not just be attractional, come and see, but also missional, go and do. And Grace Chapel has been affected profoundly by the missional church movement in recent years. We've talked about it a lot here. But suddenly... It feels like the ground is shifting beneath our feet yet again. The church is looking for new models that will be appropriate to our highly stressed, digitally engaged, post-Christian environment in which we find ourselves. And I can assure you from my conversations with pastors all over the country, we're, not, we're all having the same conversation. We're all trying to figure out what's next for the church. No one knows exactly yet and no one surely knows what to call it. But it needs to be simple. It needs to be clear. It needs to be compellingly beautiful. And it needs to be relevant to the needs of real people that we're trying to reach. It's time for some new wineskins. So church leaders have been having this conversation for a couple of years now, but there's an urgency around it here at Grace Chapel for a couple of reasons. The first is our financial shortfall. Now, if you pay attention to those kinds of things, you know that we've been, our giving has been running behind our budget for quite a few months now, so much so that we're a few hundred thousand behind right now, And if we project to the end of the fiscal year in April, we'll be at least a half a million dollars behind or more. Now, it's unusual for us to be that far behind. Now, some of you are saying, well, how did you let that happen? (laughs) What's going on there? Well, a couple things are going on, we think. For one thing, we, we built this year's budget on a previous, the previous year's budget, which seemed like a prudent thing to do, turns out that previous year was our best giving year ever in history and a little bit of an anomaly. Secondly, we just came to the end of a two-year generosity initiative that we called Next, and some of you will remember it. We made two-year intentions. Well, giving began to trail off towards the end of that in 2018, And some folks just weren't able, for one reason or another, to finish out their intentions. And the third factor is we're just facing the reality that every church and religious institution is facing today. It's those new patterns of giving among people. So we are not in a panic about that. We actually had a really great December, one of our greatest December giving months ever. So we're not in a panic about it, but we need to address it. And so, on the positive side, we're taking measures to to increase our generosity as a congregation. We have, as we mentioned, brought on board a pastor of stewardship, Kurt Drescher, who's helping us to grow as good stewards and to have a culture of generosity. We've just released a, a, a new platform for electronic giving that makes it much easier and consistent with the way people live and give uh, and handle their finances today. 
every Sunday now, we're finding in the offering plate those little I gave online cards, which you can actually pick up at any one of our information desks. And we're almost ready to roll out a planned giving platform as well. So we're trying to do some things on the, on the, uh, on the giving side, but as responsible stewards, we also need to live within our means. That's what you need to do, right? So we need to live within our means. So as we build next year's budget, it's going to be a leaner budget, which will have some impact on our programs and our staffing and our missions engagement around the world and those sorts of things. And we can get, get to a better place again, then we can certainly expand those things as well. So one factor driving this conversation is our financial shortfall. The second factor, and the one we're more concerned about actually, is that our Sunday worship attendance is flat to declining just a little bit over the past couple of years. Now, we're still seeing people come to Christ on a regular basis and join the church. We had 40-some baptisms last year and 100 or so people join the church. We still serve nearly 4,000 people on a given Sunday here at Grace. 500 or so are watching online on a regular basis. And we're certainly not the only church in the country that's feeling this trend. But we are not satisfied to be not growing. We are not satisfied to not be seeing more people come to faith in Jesus Christ and find their way to his church and discover their purpose in this life. We are not satisfied. There are four plus million people in greater Boston. There are hundreds of thousands within driving range of every one of our campuses and the vast majority of them don't know that God loves them, that he made them for a purpose that he wants to be a daily part of their lives, that Jesus died for them and wants to live through them, and they can be part of something great and eternal in this world. We want them to know that. Think about it personally for just a minute. Think about your neighborhood. How many of the people on your street, how many people in your apartment building are in a gospel-preaching church today? Probably not most of them. We are not satisfied to not be reaching more people. How many people is up to God? But we have a vision for more people. Jesus wants his church to grow. He told us that. He, he wants the seed to bear fruit. He wants the banquet hall to be full. He sent us out into the world to go and make disciples. So as we think about the future and we think about change, I want you to know that a couple things are not changing. First of all, our mission is not changing. Our mission is to glorify God by making and mobilizing more disciples for Jesus Christ. Another way of putting that is to say our mission is to help people discover life with God for the good of the world. Now, those are just two different ways of saying the same thing. The first one is church speak. <laughs> And the second one is a little friendlier to those who are outside the church world. There's two aspects to this mission. The first is the making disciples part. We want to help people who are far from God find their way to God, to come to personal faith in Christ and to grow in that relationship and be part of his church. 
But that's the discovering life with God part. The second part is to mobilize those folks, to send people back out into the world, that we would bring the goodness and the beauty of the gospel into our schools and our neighborhoods and our places of work. That's the fort of the good of the world part. Making and mobilizing disciples has been Grace Chapel's mission in one way or another for over 70 years. That has not changed. And our vision hasn't changed. Our vision is to see lives transformed. Our vision is to see people healed, forgiven, set free, restored, empowered, connected, finding their mission in the world through faith in Christ. It's a, it's a vision for people's lives. Every person you know, their life will be richer, better, fuller if they come to know Christ. Our vision is to see our campuses flourishing, to see vibrant communities of faith scattered all across greater Boston, places of beauty and worship and growth and fellowship and care and support and prayer and mobilization of people. Our vision is to see communities impacted that the towns in which our campuses are found, the surrounding towns, and even our broader city would be glad that we're here, that their lives, their schools, their community will be better because of the beauty and the goodness and the justice and the compassion that we extend into our broader communities. And ultimately, our vision is to see the gospel proclaimed. This good news of eternal life with Christ in word and deed, made known to our city, our region, New England, and the world. That vision has not changed. We want to see it happen for more people in more places than ever before. So those things have not changed. It's our measures and our model that needs to change, that needs to adapt to these changing times in which we find ourselves. New wine calls for new wineskins. So let me briefly share with you just two essential aspects of this new model that we're beginning to envision. The first aspect involves shifting from a centrally driven model to a campus driven model of ministry. What we're saying here is that we want to shift the majority of our resources, of our creativity, of our energy from our central offices out to our campuses. See, the campuses, that's where the action is, including the Lexington campus. This is where we engage our communities. This is where people come to, to worship and to, and to come to faith in Christ. This is where they grow in their faith. This is where people make connections. This is where leaders are developed. This is where community is formed. This is where we get inspiration to go back out into the world. Our campuses are vibrant. We want to invest even more deeply in those campuses. Every Monday, we have a staff chapel. We come together, all our staff from all our campuses, and we spend uh, 45 minutes or an hour just sharing stories of the past week of how God has been at work on our different campuses and ministries. And it's the highlight of the week for me. I wish you could all be there listening in. Just a few highlights from some things we've shared this past year. Back in the fall, Watertown was holding a harvest fest for their community. 
they sent out an Evite to their whole mailing list and to the neighborhood around. 800 people pre-registered online for Harvest Fest. Over 1,000 showed up for Harvest Fest and several families were in church that Sunday. Remarkable things are happening there in Watertown. The Wilmington campus has 90-plus women involved in group Bible studies. It has men's groups going. It has a new college group starting as well. In East Lexington, the student ministry is going crazy. They have students leading worship on Sunday morning, students gathering for homes uh, for meetings during the week, Students are reaching out to international students at Lexington Christian Academy where, where they meet. And from that relatively smaller campus, 18 students are going on CCLE mission trips this summer. They're full of vitality there. Foxborough, newest campus, doubled their number of small groups this year from 6 to 13. Every single week, there are new people checking out this new church and trying to find ways of making connection. They were packed out for Christmas Eve services this year. The Lexington campus has been hosting Welcome to Grace pizza lunches for newcomers every couple of months. Consistently, there's so many newcomers, we run out of pizza almost every time. The Shine Ministry with special needs kids and their families is full to overflowing. Lexington had 400 leaders at the Vision Gathering back in the fall. Christ Church of Amherst is our strategic partner church up in New Hampshire. They have just launched a new ministry emphasis called Celebrate People as they, as they tell stories of the way lives are being changed there. They've just started a group for single parents and they're planning a big Easter outreach for later this spring. God is at work on our campuses and we want to throw gas on that fire. We have empty seats on all of our campuses and we want to fill those seats Except for Wilmington, that's another story. Their seats are pretty full, but we'll talk about that another time. And so we want to shift some of our creativity, our energy, our human and financial resources from a central office kind of thing out to our campuses. Now, just a quick word about Lexington here. Last week we announced, uh, and some of you have been hearing, that uh, Pastor Dave, his wife Erin, have accepted a call to serve as lead pastor of Crossways Christian Church up in New Hampshire. So we are blessing them as they go, grateful for their work here, and enthusiastic about the impact they have. So that uh, asks, begs the question, who's going to be leading the Lexington campus? And we're happy to announce that Pastor Richard Rhodes will be the campus pastor here in Lexington for the next year or so. Okay? That was my second applause line. I was pretty sure I would get that as well. Richard knows this campus and these communities better than just about anybody around here. And his heart for reaching new people is just off the charts. So very hopeful about the year to come. So if you want to put it in organizational terms, we are decentralizing the ministry. That sounds fun, right? We are empowering our campuses, giving them freedom and responsibility to drive ministry that will lead to growth and impact. So that's the first, shifting from campus, from central to campus. The second aspect of this new model is to focus 
on three core ministries. After 70 years of ministry, Grace Chapel has accumulated a lot of ministries and programs and events, and they're all wonderful. There's just too many of them. We can't sustain them all financially and volunteer-wise, and people can't attend them all because of the craziness of their lives. In staff meeting, we sometimes talk about this as the Cheesecake Factory menu. You know how that is, right? <laughs> I don't know. Give me a hamburger. Because you're just overwhelmed. Now, if you're a church person, you know how to figure all those things out and you can navigate your way. But if you're new to the whole thing, if you've got a very limited time to pay attention to your spiritual, you don't know where to start. So... Any leader will tell you that for an organization will be effective, there has to be focus. So as we look to the future, we're going to focus on three core ministries. Ministries that we believe speak to the real needs of the people we're trying to reach outside the church and ministries that we can do really, really well. And the first of those will be Sundays. Our first focus will be on the Sunday experience. Now, I know, we just said that, you know, people are disinterested in church. They're not going anymore. They're suspicious. And I know. But what they're suspicious of is church the way they used to know it. If we can offer them something different, something that surprises them. One of my favorite things is to get someone on the phone or in the lobby or by an email who says to me, I never knew church could be like that. Or I haven't been to church in years, but now I can't wait for Sunday. See, people may be disinterested in church, but they're still interested in wonder and mystery and beauty and power and connection and purpose and transcendence. What they're looking for is God. They just don't know it. And so we want to provide an environment every Sunday through inspiring worship, relevant biblical teaching and a warm, friendly environment that allows them to experience God, to encounter God in a personal way. So our first focus will be on Sundays. Excellent worship, teaching, and, and welcome. A second focus will be on groups. People today are lonelier than ever. In spite of our full calendars, our Facebook friends, our 24-7 connectedness to people, loneliness, they're telling us, is epidemic in our culture. People want to belong. And groups is the primary way we can offer and speak to that need of belonging. A smaller group of people with whom you can share the journey of life and faith, whatever stage of life you happen to be in. Now, Grace has always done groups. We've done them well. In fact, today is Connect Sunday. So this is a great Sunday after the service to go to the lobby and, and find a group that might work for you. So that's always been important to us. We want to make it a top priority to provide these wonderful Sunday experiences for great crowds of people and provide a regular group experience where folks can connect. Women's groups, men's groups, young adult groups, life community groups, short-term groups, long-term groups. We can still do alpha and roots and go and content-driven things like that, but we want to deliver it in the form of groups so that groups becomes the primary way 
that people experience discipleship, spiritual formation, prayer, Bible study, care, support, and inspiration to go out into the world. So Sundays, groups, and thirdly, the next generation. The next generation, beginning with children and students. Now, this has always been a historic great strength of Grace Chapel. Grace Chapel really came of age with great ministries to children and students. Right now, we serve about 1,000 children and students every single Sunday, and we probably have twice that number part of our church family. So that's a great opportunity. More than ever, children and students need adults, caring adults who will invest in their lives personally and spiritually. Faith parents, we talk about. But it's just as true that adults need kids who are investing in our lives. They enrich our faith. They enrich our life. They enrich our understanding of God and the world. This is not ministry to the next generation. It's ministry with the next generations. We want Grace Chapel to be here for our children and for our children's children. And so all the generations are going to have to build that future together. Sundays, groups, the next generation. Three ministries that have been historic strengths for Grace Chapel. Three ministries that we believe speak to the real needs of the people in our surrounding communities. And three ministries we believe we can do with passion and excellence. Now, to be sure, there's still more to life and ministry at Grace than these three things. And we'll continue to have things like celebrate recovery and global awareness and some of the bigger, broader things that we do. And yes, we'll still do weddings and funerals. That's part of what churches do. But we will do fewer things with greater excellence in order that we might invest in those things that we believe can really reach people who are far from God. So as I said, we're just beginning to discern and clarify this model. We'll be working on it in the months to come. As we look to the future, we believe that things can look different in the days to come, and we're looking forward to a new season of life and ministry. We want you to know where we are and where we're headed so that you can be in prayer with us, so that you can be dreaming with us and even changing with us. The state of the church is changing because God is always doing something new. Let me just finish with a personal word. As you can imagine, all these things have been on my mind and heart for quite a few months now as we've been working them through, and especially so in the past couple of weeks. And many mornings, I've woken up early needing some wisdom and assurance from God and His Word. Like many of you, I use the Encounter with God devotional guide. And if you've been using that, you know that this past week, the readings have been from the parables of Jesus. Stories like the ones we just looked at. Stories of the kingdom of God, what, what God the new thing that God's doing in the world. Monday, it was the story of the sower and the seed of how the seed and the soil bore fruit 30 and 60 and 100-fold. On Tuesday, it was the story of the parable of the mustard seed, the smallest of seeds becoming the largest of trees so that all the birds of the air came and found a place in its branches. Stories of growth and expansion and impact. 
On Wednesday, it was the story of the wheat and the weeds. The wheat of God's kingdom and the weeds of this world growing side by side in such a way that it looked as though the weeds might choke out the wheat. Don't worry about the weeds, the farmer says in so many words. Just let the wheat grow. Just let the kingdom grow because it will. Because you can't stop it. Listen to what the commentator writes. Matthew recalls this parable partly to reassure a church under pressure. That was true in the first century and it's true now. As church attendance declines and Christianity gets marginalized, we need the same reminder. God's wheat cannot perish. What an encouragement. What a blessing it was to me the morning I read that. What an encouragement it is to us as we look to the future. Jesus said he will build his church and what? The gates of hell can't stop it. I am not afraid as we look to the future. Yes, these are as challenging days as ever for the church, but I am as excited and as hopeful and ever about the church because I believe in the local church. I believe in this local church because I believe in the gospel, the good news of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That is our message to the world. That is the, the, the new wine that Jesus brought into the world and that message will not change. It's the wineskins that need to change. The ways in which we make that news known and available to the world around us. And Grace Chapel has figured that out again and again and again and again down through the decades and I am confident that with God's grace and help we will figure it out again to, together. And I can't wait to do that. I am excited about this next chapter of Grace Chapel's story, whatever it looks like, and of discerning it and working together with God's help to accomplish it. Because God is doing something new. So new so good, so powerful that the old wineskins can't contain it. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for this church here today in which we are all sitting and enjoying a sense of your presence and fellowship with one another, finding hope and encouragement, perspective and inspiration, comfort and help. We are deeply grateful that you have brought this church into being, that you have sustained it down through the years, grateful for the leaders and servants through whom you have raised it up and sustained it all these years. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would be faithful stewards of this great church and this great treasure for our season, for our time. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for all that is yet to be done and what you will do in our hearts and relationships as we discern and follow your leading together. Make the way clear. Meet us here week by week as we gather. Send us out into the world day by day to be your people for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.